0: visit tecovas.com that's t-e-c-o-v-a-s.com and don't go gently y'all fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions
1: that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no
0: matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. As a rule of thumb, you can tell how good a sailor is by how how shiny the anchor isn't. So you can see these boats that are like, um, you know, these are like super expensive boats and they've got these amazing anchors that have never been used an anchor chain that is still you know pristine and i'm like well you know you've just bought something to show off to your friends but yet you'll see a boat that you know comes screaming in the sails are well set but old there's chips out of the hull there's some bloke with a beard you know this you know three foot long who knows what he's doing and you think you know you are getting such enjoyment out of that boat and honestly those are the people that I want to have a drink with in the bar afterwards because that's where you learn.
2: Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Nick. And we're from Sailing Ruby Rose, and you are listening to the Tom Rollins Podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. Man, got another great story of someone who drops out of normal life and starts a life of passion, following their passion, doing exactly what they want to do. Nick and Teresa from Sailing Ruby Rose are with me today. Nick was a dentist. Teresa was a paramedic. They decided that they were going to stop what they were doing. They were going to sell everything, quit their job save up all their money, buy a boat, and go sail off into the sunset. Well, it's not exactly that easy. They had to kind of take stair steps up. We'll talk about all of that and how they did that and how they actually made this dream a reality. They have a YouTube channel called Sailing Ruby Rose. It is fantastic. Uh, I really like it in doing the research for uh, for this podcast. I managed to watch a lot of their videos. They do a very, very good job. Um, but it is a cool life that they've managed to create, and that's exactly what they've done. It didn't happen by accident. They created this life. Uh, A lot of people that listen to this podcast want to do something similar, whether that's being a fishing guide or a hunting guide or getting into the outdoor industry in some way, shape, or form. Whatever it may be, you can take some advice from Nick and Teresa and uh, see how they did it, how they managed to quit their job. Not just any job he was a dentist. He was a dentist. She was a paramedic. Like Those are real jobs. They managed to quit those jobs and go and and live their best life. So they're with me today. And here we go onto the show. Nick and Teresa, how are you?
2: We're very well, thank you. Yeah, very
0: well. It's odd to be off a boat. We've lived on a boat for so long now to be you know, in something made of stone is a little bit, it freaks me out when I wake up in the morning.
1: Yeah. How long has it been? How long have you lived on a boat? Uh, full time. We moved on in 2015.
0: So five years now, five and a half years we've done and we sold the boat um, about a month ago. So yeah, we're still getting used to everything being in the same
1: place. We left it when we get into bed,
2: <laughs> not rolling around. Yeah. And yeah.
1: What do you think? I mean, what what kind of adjustment is that? Like, You know, like I've been on on long mothership trips and, you know, my background is a fisherman. I'm not a sailor, so you'll have to explain some some of the sailing terms and I don't want to get them wrong. I know some people that are way into sailing do not like it at all if you get the sailing terms wrong. So I apologize (laughs) already. I'm a fisherman, so I can help you with your fishing. I noticed some of your. Yeah, we seniors. need help. Yeah, we, we definitely need help. <laughs> I can help yeah. you with your fishing, but see. I'm definitely not going to help you with the sailing. But it's interesting, though, when you do. Like I've done some longer mothership trips. I did one in Australia one time, and we were on the boat for almost two weeks. And then you get off, and and there is some adjustment, like to to getting off. Do you do you like that adjustment, or do you kind of wish you were back on the boat? We
2: love. I think that we we like the novelty of being on land. I think when we're on the boat, we obviously love being on the boat. We're, that the boat up until a month ago was our home, so it always is nice to be home, even when it's not comfortable, even when it's frustrating, even when you're dealing with bad weather or whatever. It's still nice to get into your own bed every night. But I think every time we do come off the boat and we're living on land temporarily, it's fun because we get to, I don't know, have long showers and we get to wash our laundry whenever yeah. we want to. And, you know, we don't have to worry about the weather we just close the door and it's, it's always fun for a little while. And then probably after, I don't know, our threshold is about four to eight weeks. And then we start really pining after the boat again. Yeah. So it's going to be tough the next 12 months while we wait for our new catamaran, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but that's just the way it is.
1: Have a plan. Do you have a plan on where we are going plan. to spend that time?
0: No. And what, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd have all sorts of plans. And um, the thing that Teresa said, the reason why we're pretty kind of like calm is that it is temporary. If if we got off the boat and closed the door and it's like, well, that's our, that's our boating career done. I'd be like, yeah, I'd get the old twitchy eye from just the stress of it all. So we know we're going back. The, the complication is just the hiatus caused by COVID and there's a gap between the boat that we've just sold and the boat we're going to. So we hope to do a lot more sailing in the next 12 months. We hope to kind of go and sail bits of Australia. We actually do have a lot of friends here that are determined to get us fishing because we're so bad at it. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're like, you know, honestly, how can you be so bad at fishing? Yeah, so- you
2: live on a boat. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah.
1: Especially when you yeah. need it to, to eat. And, and sometimes Absolutely. I would Absolutely, yeah. Right. So where are you right now? But-
0: Uh, We're on the island of Rhodes, which is one of the Greek islands. It's about 10 miles south of Turkey. Um, We came here, well, we came here just because England is not doing particularly well with COVID. We got a flight out and we can stay here relatively cheaply while we kind of get our editing done. Um, We were pretty lucky this season to get away from England and get back, to the boat. There was a whole palaver with Teresa getting the last plane out of Australia, <laughs> trying to come and meet me um, in, in, in France. And we got stuck in the UK. And <clears throat> it was no joke. We honestly thought back in February that it was just going to be our, oh, you know, there'll be a, a small hiatus or a small break while they address this COVID issue. And we joked about how she was on the last flight out of Australia. Mm-hmm. And I think you were, weren't you? Oh,
2: it, was, it was pretty close because Australia, um, they they uh, implemented a travel ban. So I got out the day before the travel ban was uh, was implemented. But, yeah, we're currently in Greece at the moment. And, you know, we're, as we said before, we're enjoying the the novelty of being on land. We're lucky, very lucky that we, you know, had the option to come here, um you know Greece has its borders open and is allowing visitors and so we'll essentially stay here for as long as we can but ultimately we want to try and get back to australia because you know i have obviously family there and and we're trying to get back so yeah that's easier said than done at the moment but that's our ultimate goal
1: yeah it's interesting how all the different countries are are handling the covid differently um and and it's it's causing all kinds of issues for travelers all over the world I know that a lot of my friends spend a lot of time in the Bahamas and it's constantly being opened and then being closed and then if you're there you you've got to stay you know if you fly if you get in there then you've got to stay in quarantine for a while and then it's just all different every everyone where where is the in in your flying to back and forth to Australia did you notice um in particular, uh, a place that is more strict than, than others, or uh, as you're, as you're researching this, like.
2: Well, the problem is that normally we would follow the sun. So for example, the last few years we have been sailing around Europe, but of course the sailing season in Europe is only about six months. And although you can live 12 months of a year on the boat of course you're not able to sail 12 months of the year really mm-hmm. because the weather in the middle of winter is is quite can be quite bad particularly on the atlantic coast so over the past 3 years i think since we got back to europe we after sailing the caribbean we have been spending the european winter visiting my family in australia um and you know we've spent, used that time also to come to the us and come to the Annapolis boat show for example we've done that a few years in a row but this year you know we are kind of I don't want to use the word stuck in Europe, but we are kind of stuck in Europe for the moment and we are scrambling at the moment to try and work out where we can go, A, because we don't want to be here all winter, B, most importantly, because we don't want, we want to get back onto a boat, we want to get back sailing again. And uh, C, obviously I'd like to see my family in there at some point. So, yeah, it's hard because the countries that we'd normally go to right now are – largely closed off to us mm-hmm.
0: um so i'm just going to interrupt before you get a lot of angry listeners uh, sending you messages <laughs> we realize this is a real first world problem so <clears throat> us not being out of travel as much yeah we've got our health we have, you know we haven't lost our jobs we're not suffering with family that are ill touch wood we are not suffering with kids that are ill yeah. with loss of employment and honestly we consider ourselves to be pretty blessed with very, our very situation yeah. mm-hmm. So. I'm not, you know, playing down the severity of what this is by us talking about travel plans. Yeah. You know, it's just the job that we do, and it has had a, a minor impact on our lives. So, yeah, we, are, we hope that we're sensitive to other people's plights. Mm. So just because we're talking about what we do, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're blinkered. We've lost perspective, yeah.
2: yeah. I think that we've been, all year we've just been saying to each other, you know, aren't we just so lucky that we, first of all, were reunited because we were separated at the beginning of the pandemic. Then we were able to get back to the boat, um, back to our home, and we were able to sail, and that was amazing. And now, you know, we're still together. And although we want to try and get back to Australia, you know, if if that can't happen, then it can't happen, yeah. and we'll just, you know, muddle our way through like everyone else. And at the end of the day, we are very, very lucky.
0: Yeah, and there have been when I mean, your friends is it Alex he he's Australian. She was, she's from, she was in, in France. They've been together a few years and they were separated for what eight months Yeah. because he couldn't leave Australia. So wow. it is, we were pretty lucky. It wasn't, you know, or we can get on a flight in a month, eight months apart they, they had. So right. the fact that we managed to get back together is pretty, we were pretty lucky.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have family over in England and they have not been able to come at all and don't even think, uh, I don't even believe that they're going to be coming this Christmas either. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, families are, are apart from one another. Husbands and wives are apart from one another, but, uh, you are, you are very lucky in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, in some ways, what I want to talk about is you've, you've made some of your luck, uh, by creating this life that is very interesting. And, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's got an allure to a a big audience. You have, uh, 130,000 or more subscribers. Is that What you have on YouTube? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah,
2: 125,000, I think, at the moment, and yeah.
1: So that is, uh, I mean, what you do is very attractive and very interesting to a lot of people. Obviously, I, you know, we were hooked up by our friend, a mutual friend, Aaron, who um, told me about you all and what you're, what you're doing. So I started doing my research and I started watching as many videos as I could before we did this podcast. And I got to say, you do a really good job on your videos. They, you you have a, you have a great channel. And one of the things that I liked about it is that It was it was obvious in the comments and it was obvious in some of your videos that you realize that not everyone that's watching and subscribing and supporting you is someone who's a hardcore sailor or somebody that even has ever been on a sailboat. It seems like you have drawn this audience of of uh, certainly sailors and people that are interested in boats and doing what you're doing. But there's a there seems to be a pretty large portion of your audience that is just a dreamer you know, that kind of dreams of this lifestyle, whether that's on a boat or whether it's in an RV or it's just traveling or it's just just living life on their own terms. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that you've noticed that, too, and that you kind of talk, speak to those people in a couple of your videos. I saw you kind of speaking directly to them, like maybe you're just a dreamer. Maybe you're in that dreaming stage of of uh, of, you know, kind of setting this up. So I, you know, kudos to you for for creating that life. And when I dug into your story, um, Nick, you were a dentist. Is that correct? Yep. You were a dentist. I was a tooth puller. Yeah. And uh, and you were a a paramedic. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
1: So this we we rewind back to around what. And you met in India, which I also think is very interesting uh, because yeah. you obviously both had kind of a, 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 an adventurous spirit before, before the boat. So how did you end up in, in India? And what were, you, what were you guys doing there that you would meet in India?
0: So, I mean, do you want to answer this? I, well, I suppose we'll do it like Romeo and Juliet. I'll, I'll do the Romeo <laughs> bit and then you can do the Juliet part in a minute. Um, I've always traveled. I always traveled and when I had the dental practice. I would always take as much time off and put on a a backpack or rucksack and go somewhere that I'd never been and try and do low impact travel. It sounds very kind of hippie-ish, but that's what I used to do. So I decided to book um, an overland trip from India to Nepal. So for two weeks, and it started off in New Delhi, went through, you know, Varanasi, went to see, you know, you went with a group of like-minded travelers. It wasn't posh hotels. It was, you know, pretty...
2: Very, very
0: basic. Very basic. Yeah. Well, we stepped on a door one night, yeah. so that's that basic it was. It was um but it was really beautiful. Anyway, I walked into this hotel lobby, the hotel good times in New Delhi. And honestly, there were no good times there. It, it was a it was a, it was a rat-infested Anyway. <laughs> um and you know, I had been in Delhi for a few days and literally I met the rest of the group. They were I think five of us on the five other travelers of which there was this pretty grumpy looking Australian girl sat in the lobby at six in the morning with not enough coffee and upset stomach. And, you know,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm not a morning person, (laughs) but Nick obviously, you know, liked what he saw for some reason. And uh, yeah, we, you know, had two weeks on holiday together essentially backpacking throughout northern India and and Nepal and it was obviously a very special holiday and then we both kind of went back to our respective lives you know we were both on a very short break from work but it didn't take long to decide that we wanted to kind of you know see the relationship further so I moved to the UK the following year and uh yeah Nick kind of Informed me, you know, I barely kind of dropped my suitcases. And Nick said, look, you know, if you want to spend any quality time with me, you're gonna to have to learn to sail because that's what I do with I all I should, of my spending. I
0: conjured <laughs> 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 to conjure yeah. into that one. By the way, we live on a boat. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that was it. That yeah. was that was that was how we met. Um I was pretty clear to, to I think I was worried that, you know, she had a pretty good career as a paramedic in Australia, and I didn't want her to give it all up. And I think what you did. You did get a year off work, didn't you? Yeah. So your boss kept your job open.
2: Yeah, just in case. In case case I was a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we lived in in London together for five years. And we kind of, as you said, we both had that sense of adventure. We both wanted to kind of pursue that um, adventurous side of our personalities. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I really loved sailing to begin with because, quite frankly, we were sailing you know, the East coast of the UK and it's got its own special beauty, but I don't think any East coast sailors in the UK would argue that like they have the most kind of, I don't know, the easiest sailing conditions to to learn on or to introduce.
0: It's it's challenging sailing. It It is. Um, I think from the point, and I think what the audience and especially yourself will will, will probably get from fishing is that um, it's a pretty tidal area. So certain, certain coasts of Britain are, relatively unaffected by tides, the South coast, there are tides, but it doesn't really affect your ability to go into a a port. Whereas the east coast, it's a lot of mud and most areas dry out. Hmm. So your tidal calculations have to take into account that your boat will probably be sat on the mud for 10 hours in 12. And so you get two hours in 12 to get off your berth and, and go fishing or go sailing. And that's brilliant, except, of course, when high water's at 3am and you've, you know... Been at the pub the
2: night before. (laughs) And
0: a lot of my friends, did they roll out of the pub at 11 o'clock, you know, 11pm, 12pm, and have to be on deck at 2am. And this is why the boats get stuck on the mud, because, you know, (laughs) normally they're coming out after one too many beers. Um, So it is challenging, and you get a lot of shifting sandbanks and mudbanks, banks. So what your chart will show one year will be different the next year. So voyage is more difficult. It's, yeah, it's it's challenging. But, you know, she didn't she didn't bail on me and she's still no, there. No,
2: no, I, I made it through. And, uh, yeah, now I guess <laughs> reaping the rewards of my perseverance in those early
1: days. Wow. That's, I mean, those tides, I, I was watching one of your videos and you were talking about 30-foot tides. Um in that area that you were just describing, with all the mud, and and is that a thirty foot tide or or oh yeah or it can be uh,
2: it, it can be bigger than you, that well,
0: yeah it, where we were on our coast you get a seven meter tide that's a twenty that's a big tide would be about twenty one mm-hmm. twenty one foot um, where we were sailing last year in France there you this get the ten year. this sorry this year in France you get the ten meter tides wow and the ten meter, 10 t- meter tide yeah yes. yeah that's pretty nuts but the thing about it is that it's The reason it's so big is that you're you're kind of against the Atlantic Ocean and there's a whole load of water that has to come in and go out every 12 hours so that means that where you have a constriction of land masses when you get uh, since it's water running between two points aside from the the, the, you know the difference between high water and low water you also get that all comes in at at speed so to get 10 10 knots of tide is is not abnormal Mm -hmm. so As you can imagine, getting your tidal calculations right when you know mid-tidal flow, you've got ten knots. You've got to be pretty on the ball, and we're not always on the ball. (laughs) (laughs) So we we literally we had the boat twice, almost going backwards this year, just to you know we got our secondary port calculations. Um, So yeah, it's it's pretty savage. Yeah,
1: I mean in Florida, you know we we don't have tides anywhere nearly that. Strong, But sometimes the current going through the bridges and and sometimes going around a point or something like that, the current can be extremely strong on the big spring tides. And uh, I mean, when you're talking about water like that, that's that's really that's really amazing tide. Uh, It's interesting to see that uh, I guess your your viewers and through your channel, you know, it's showing you kind of learning all of this just like anyone else. I mean, I, I like that about your videos too, is that you, you were, there was one that caught my eye and it was like, we make mistakes too. And it was about like you running aground twice, um, you know, and you didn't cause any damage, but you know, it, there's all this emotion in like what you're doing. And, and even, I mean, I know what that's like. You, you, you go and you plan this perfect day and something goes wrong and man, it has a tendency to, really mess up, mess up the whole day like or if that you let it so true you know yeah if you let it but you guys did a great job on on that particular video of just just like not painting the picture that because you have 130,000 subscribers and you travel all over the place that everything always works perfectly for you because there is that that kind of you could easily, I mean, you can edit anything out or you can include anything in the video. But I thought that what was interesting is that you were purposefully including some of the mistakes that you're making, some of the things that are breaking, some of the things that were just clearly, you know, you're, you're, you just made a mistake. And uh, I think that's very interesting how you how you bring that in. It seems like your viewers really like that as well.
2: Yeah, well, that was actually a conscious decision we made Three years ago, well, yeah, it was three years ago that we started started the channel. And we decided early on, and I'm not sure whether it was something that we needed to discuss, but it just, it it was just us being ourselves, I guess. We were, we wanted to be as authentic as possible. We didn't want to be kind of portraying a, a side of our life that was just the good stuff and then not showing, I guess, a complete picture. We wanted to, and we also want to create content that. As I said, is authentic. It's 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 showing everything. Um, Obviously, we do edit some things out, (laughs) Um, but you know, largely we do want to show the the negatives and the Uh you know that kind of lifestyle is not always as uh, I don't know as as glamorous and as easy as as I think some other creators make it out to be. I'm not throwing shade. I think that's that's obviously their brand, but our kind of mission statement from the beginning was that we wanted to show a complete picture.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean f- when you just have... to add to that. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, what I was going to say is that when I bought my first boat, I bought this little, you know, I think it cost me $5,000. It was falling apart. And I went to a marina where most of the friends that I, I, I made were, were older sailors. And the pub on a Friday night or during my weekends down at the boat a lot of what I learned was, you know, we, we made friendships through being taught by older people that knew what they were doing or more experienced people. So it is such a big part of sailing is community. and I'm sure it's the same in fishing. Yeah, you sure. know, if you, and it's, I, I what, I, what I've always said is like sailing and life on the water is like life on land with the color turned up. You, you meet better friends, you have better experiences, you have richer experiences and a lot of that is in the way that you teach other people to fish or to, to fix an outboard or to bleed a fuel system. And if we were to cut that out, we'd probably be cutting out the best bit. It's like cutting the eye out of a lamb chop. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're throwing away the best bit. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: exactly. And I do think that the best bit can be when we make mistakes. I mean, not to be cynical, but people do enjoy watching when things go wrong, as well as when things are going right, it does make for good entertainment. It might not be fun for us at the time, but later when you're putting the story together, it always makes for a better story from yeah. a storytelling storytelling point of view, when there's challenge, challenges that have to be overcome. So I, I don't think that there's any advantage to us in any way of, of cutting anything negative out. And, and it's all, I think that, I don't know, the, the word mistake is probably not Really, the best word to use because I think that it's just about learning. And not to sound too twee,
0: accelerated learning.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it is. It's about you know everything is a learning experience, yeah. and and we're constantly learning. And you know, I've been sailing for ten years, Nick's been sailing for something closer to fifteen years, and you know, we are going to continue to learn how to sail, learn how to be on a boat, learn how to handle our boat probably for the rest of our sailing lives. So yeah, we don't shy away from the times where we make bad decisions because it's just a learning experience.
1: Right. And uh, as you go to different places, you know, every new port is a, is a completely new experience. There's a way you have to navigate in there. It could be very easy. You maybe there's a marker missing. Maybe there's, you know, in some areas like in the Florida Keys, some of the markers are PVC pipes that someone just puts in there and maybe it's there one day, oh, yeah. maybe it's gone the next, you know, and, and there's, you, you have to learn how to get into these new places. And no matter how long you've been sailing there or, or or fishing or navigating or whatever, it's kind of an adventure going in. But one of the things that I liked so much about, um, it seems like the, the, the communication that you have with your audience is that you're showing that these things are happening. It's going to happen. If this is the life that you're choosing, these these are things that are going to happen. You can try to avoid them, but some of these things are going to happen. And then it's how you deal with them. You know, do you do you get uh you let the morale drop? Do you stay positive? Can you can you move on? Can you fix it and move on? Can you make is you, are you going to let this ruin your whole day or your whole trip or, or whatever? And those are things that I think a lot of people are really scared of as they embark on, you know, a life like this, or they think about maybe even, maybe they're in that dreaming stage and they're thinking, well, what, what happens if I run aground? I, I don't know. I mean, they could, is that the worst thing that could ever happen? And then they see it happen and they're like, ah, eh, seems like they did okay with it. <laughs> You know, I mean, obviously there's different levels of running aground. You can put a hole in your boat, but you can also just bump the bottom and move on.
0: Yeah. I mean, from our point of view, I mean, the adage, if we, we work on the, on the, on the adage that if you make one moderate mistake, every time you take the boat out, you're doing well. Mm. So there's no point in trying to say, we're not going to make mistakes that you always make small mistakes, whether it's a calculation, whether you knock something, whether you break something, It, it always happens. And you know uh, what you said about does it? Do you let it get you down? We have been, you know, a handful of times, even recently, where we've actually damaged the boat through sometimes our own fault. More often than not, actually, not our fault. But as I'm the skipper, it's always my fault. Right? Um, where you know, I mean, Theresa and I about five years ago. She, you know, we remember this because we both ended up like pretty upset about it we damaged the boat really badly um we were pushed onto a pontoon which had no fender no no protection on it and it was it was uh, galvanized steel Mm. so it literally took a a gouge out of the side of the boat and we do damage the boat and if you're not damaging a boat you're not using it and we walk up and down marinas um because we spend a lot of time in marinas and sometimes pretty expensive marinas where we feel pretty out of place but you can tell how as a rule of thumb, you can tell how good a sailor is by how, how shiny the anchor isn't. So you can see these boats that are like, um, you know, these are like super expensive boats and they've got these amazing anchors that have never been used. An anchor chain that is still, you know, Christine. pristine. And I'm like, well, you know, you've just bought something to show off to your friends but yet you'll see a boat that, you know, comes screaming in, the sails are well set but old, there's chips out of the hull, there's some bloke with a beard, you know, this, you know, three foot long, who knows what he's doing and you think, you know, you are getting such enjoyment out of that boat. And honestly, those are the people that I want to have a drink with in the bar afterwards because they, that's where you learn. And, yeah.
2: and also to pick up on that, you know, we are taking delivery of a catamaran next year, late next year. And that's a big step up from what we've been sailing for the last eight years or so. We've been living on board for five years, but we've owned the boat for about eight years. And we are definitely, I guarantee you we'll be making a huge number of errors, particularly at the beginning, it's the learning curve is going to be really steep oh, for both of us. And, you know, we will obviously, you know, be transparent about that, but we have to be realistic about it. It's gonna happen. We're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna make big mistakes with that new boat, handling the boat, you know, sailing the boat. We've never sailed at well, what we've sailed at catamarized before, but we've never lived on a catamaran before. So, you know, there's going to be a steep learning curve and that's just, you know, well, we're looking forward to it.
1: But, I certainly yeah, wanted definitely. to talk about, about that new boat because that's a, that's a big part of your story. But one of the things that I was going to ask, and it's, it's a good, uh, segue into it right now is that when you get this new boat, how long, I mean, where are you going to be taking delivery of it?
0: Initially, Vietnam. So okay. the company that we're in partnership with, and I'll talk more about the partnership later on, because we haven't just bought a boat. They they are based in Vietnam. It's an Australian company, so it's Sea Wind Catamarans, and they are based in Australia, but they build in Vietnam. So initially, we will sail around the Vietnamese waters, Asian waters, Thailand, Malaysia. Um, and at some point, we may ship the boat to you know, to back to Europe only because there are things we want to do in Europe. We want to do at the Atlantic Crossing and a few other bits and start that way, but it's not set in stone, is it?
2: No, it's not set in stone. Some of that, uh, well, we may have to think about the boat shows um the european boat shows and whether our boat will be involved in them um so that's going to be one consideration um but yeah uh, uh, we're, not, we're still not 100 percent sure what the sailing plan is but yeah we'll definitely be taking delivery in vietnam and and doing i guess a shakedown cruise on yeah. those waters yeah. i mean
1: that's that's what i was going to kind of ask the shakedown is like how how long i mean even if you get if i get a new skiff a 17 foot bonefish boat there's there is a a shakedown on a small boat like that too. Like you got to make sure that you've got everything the way you want it, the way that your other boat was, or you're going to make improvements. You're getting used to this new boat. How long of a period do you expect, you know, and, and this is a boat that you're living on. So it's like, you're moving into a new home. Plus it's your, plus you're learning how to sail this different craft. How long of a, a period do you expect that to be before you like really kind of you know, get your bearings for, for lack of a better phrase. I think,
0: I mean, it's obviously. I would say that within a year we'll have the boat exactly where we want it. Yeah, and I think that's probably a, a, a good a good time frame to get a boat to exactly where I would be happy to do major passages. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you know we won't. If we've got initial problems, we won't get most of them out of the way. You know, within the first month, couple of weeks, if there are any problems during the build. The company is very, very diligent. And that is why we worked with them because they, they, they're they engineers that build boats. They're not these kind of like airy fairy, or we're going to give you a drawing and we build a boat that looks like the drawing. So I have a lot of confidence in the design of the boat, which hopefully will make problems easier to overcome. But I would suggest if you actually want me to kind of nail my color to the mast and say, what do you want to do for shakedown? I would say, first month, we would look for major issues um for instance, um, the main sale wasn't cut correctly. you know it, they're putting the sails onto the boat the, the sail company that we are using i have they have such good sail makers I have no no you know even question that would happen. but say, for instance, one of the sails wasn't cut properly or there was. Um, a problem with any of the electronics, where there was a, a, a connection loose somewhere inside, we would find those hopefully and get overcome all those within a month. So after that, we'd look to smaller problems. For instance, um, a cockpit drain wasn't draining properly, um, and that could be simply that there's a you know a, an elbow somewhere in the run that hasn't been there's only been kind of a thought through. On a, on a CAD design, but in real terms, it doesn't drain properly. So we would find those smaller problems with, with use. Um, and you can design a boat on, on a computer as much as you want. You can use float tanks, you can do everything. Until you live on it real time, mm-hmm. you cannot, you can't tell, you can't work out what the problems are. And then there's going to be just minor problems. Like for instance, I don't know, if we go over this hump, the kettle falls off the, the, the counter. Yeah. And and that and that is where tweaking the boat and you're pretty. This comes into fishing. If you've got in, you know any any watercraft, you have to tweak a boat. Mm-hmm. And for people that don't sail or fish, I suppose the analogy that you initially come up with is it's like buying a car. Um, you know, you buy a car and there may be teething problems with it. But you know, but if you're buying a Ford, the production run on that car is going to be tens of thousands of units, and they have design teams, you know, thousands of people working on that. So the problems tend to be lesser. Um, When you're looking at boats, you're looking at far smaller production runs, and they are inherently far more complicated than cars.
1: Yeah. And custom, you know, like if you sail a certain way, this is the way you learned how to do something or in fishing. It's like you reach for what, what, what would normally be there in your old boat? And it's not there. And you're like, Oh, well, didn't think about that when I was building the boat. Now I need to put the trim tabs right here where I, where I've always had them. I can't, I'm going to have to relearn how to drive a boat. If I have the trim tabs in a different place. And then, you know, you, a lot of those things you, you think you can work out, but there's always a few that kind of, you end up having to move things or change things or, or you change the way you do things because of the new boat, you know, but.
0: Yeah, absolutely. um, Absolutely. And we look forward to it.
1: Yeah, of course. And I want to get back to that because I know that's a big part of your, of your story, but one of the things that, that we talk about on this podcast often um, because of my fishing background is a lot of people want to, Do something different in their life. A lot of the people that listen to this podcast want to be a fishing guide or a hunting guide or get involved in the outdoor industry in some way, shape, or form. And when I watch your videos, we were talking about how you know romantic that that you could make this look. You guys choose to show some of the some of the mistakes and some of the other things. But one thing is for sure that that you are documenting a wonderful life that you've created for yourself and it makes other people want to do the same thing. And that seems kind of easy sometimes like you just, just drop out and do this, but I know that it's not. And I know that, that at that time of 2015, you know, you're thinking about quitting your job as a dentist. You're thinking about not being a paramedic anymore. Like I want to talk about that. Like, how do you, how do you and how would you um, suggest that other people kind of approach that point in their life? Because there's a ton of people out there that are unhappy with what, they want, what they're doing. They have something that they want to do, either live on a boat or they want to take an RV across the country or they want to become a fishing guide or a hunting guide or they want to do something different. And uh, through this podcast, we've gotten some incredible advice from people like yourselves who have been able to do that. So I'd like to talk about that, like what that was like and how you decided, okay, there's going to be a date and I'm going to quit my job and this is what we're doing. Can we talk about that for just a little bit?
0: Sure. Yeah, of course we can. Um, we, it's probably the question that we get asked the most from across all spectrums. And you're absolutely correct. It tends to be people that don't own boats, that want to get into a lifestyle change. How do you get to where we are? Um, the answer is both simple and complex at the same time. The simple answer is you have to break it into manageable bits. You know, you don't go to a boat show, buy a 50 foot catamaran that costs a million dollars. If you are lucky enough to have that sort of money and sail off into the sunset, you'll terrify yourself, you'll put yourself in danger, and you'll probably be miserable. I mean, there are people that have done that.
2: Absolutely. We've met many of them. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> But statistically, if you take things slowly, uh, you're probably, you are have a greater chance of, of succeeding. Now, I'm going to break this whole kind of story into a, a few different bits. And the first bit is the first boat that I bought. I decided that I wanted to buy a boat. I never sailed a boat before in my life. And I thought, well, I'm going to buy a boat with As little money as I can, so that if I bank, you know, if I sink it, damage it, if I don't get on with it, I will. I can sell it, or you know, and I haven't bankrupt myself. Now, bear in mind that if you buy and sell a boat, a broker will charge you ten percent. It's not like buying and selling a house where the the profit margins are less. So, if you buy a million dollar boat and you sell it, you've lost a hundred thousand, even just on on the brokerage fees. So, I bought a boat that cost about five thousand. I scraped all the pennies together, and the boat was an. There's an expression we have in England called a shed. It was an absolute, you know, it was a, it was a horrible thing. It was, but the, it worked. It basically worked as a boat. And I went to the marina manager um, when I bought the boat and I said, look, I need the berth. And she's like, well, I'm not sure I can give you that. I'm like, look, well, I've never been on a boat before. So either you, it's going to have to be conditional that you let me have the berth because I can't move it anywhere. And she's like, all right, fool. Anyway, so I just I read books, I learned and I learned the craft, and I learned little things like engine maintenance because the, the oil would out, leak, leak out of the engine, the fuel lines were shot to pieces. So I had to learn how to, you know, bleed air out of a fuel line. I learned how to trim sails. I learned how to do basic varnishing because the varnish was all tarnished inside. My mother helped me up, re-upholster the two little settees that were inside it. I learned basic navigation. I started doing some actual courses, um, the RYA courses, which is the the UK equivalent of the ASA courses, so I could kind of understand what I was meant to be doing. And I learned, and I went out and learned, and I made mistakes, and I made mistakes on a boat that didn't cost me that much. And I think my parents actually thought at the time, you're going to, you know, all right, it's just one of his fads, he'll get bored and sell the boat, but I never did. And so when it came to make a decision to buy a bigger boat, I kind of had cut my teeth on something smaller and easier to use. And honestly, you can do a lot less damage in a 25-foot boat than you can in a 50-foot boat. So it's not just about you damaging yourself or your boat. It's about the damage you can do to other boats. And you know, you see, you see people that are unqualified causing all sorts of chaos um, in big boats. Moving on from that, I, went, I, I bought another boat, and that's when I met Teresa. and. I think we've already mentioned that we were traveling. And I did say to her, and it was serious. It was, let me say, 90% serious. (laughs) When she moved to the UK to be with me, I said, All right, in five years, we're gone. We are going to be gone. And the thing that we advise so many people is that normally there are obstacles to getting over the line, to getting, you know, to dropping the lines and sailing free. Obviously, obstacles are, you know, that, that health, family, and finances you cannot control. If you, don't, if you don't have the health, if your family needs you and you don't have the money, then unfortunately that is limiting. But after that, the biggest obstacle that you're going to find is you. And even us, with, at this point, we had seven, eight years of experience. I'd be awake at night, you know, flipping out, thinking, what are we doing? Like, are we really going to do this? Are we going to be you know, leaving in three years, four years, are we going to do this? And we got over the line. The the big step for us was investing the money we had in the boat that was going to do the trip for us. So we actually put our money where our mouth was, put the deposit down on this boat. We took out a loan to buy the boat. And at this point, I'm like, well, we've sunk everything we've got into this boat. I can't back out now.
2: No. And I think that the other thing that I would advise other people If they're looking to kind of have a similar lifestyle change, and and this was something that luckily you know we kind of experienced for ourselves, is that if you're part of a couple, um, obviously if you're doing it on your own, you only have yourself to worry about. But if you're doing it as part of a couple, you both have to be equally committed. Mm -hmm. Um, And we unfortunately hear not a lot of story, only a lot of stories, but we've met a lot of couples where one side it was their dream, and the other party was less enthusiastic. Sometimes not enthusiastic at all. And I don't know of any of those couples that we've met who fall into that category that actually lasted any length of time. They all invariably end up selling the boat and moving back to land. It's just not tenable to have one side of the couple not invested in, in the lifestyle change. It's never going to work, unfortunately. So you both have to somehow get to the point where you're both equally enthusiastic and you're embracing the change um, and and luckily for both of us, you know, I was very enthusiastic. I wasn't a particularly keen sailor, um, but I kind of got along with it okay. Uh, Nick, sailing was really Nick's passion from the beginning and I just essentially saw it as like a conduit to adventure. So I was on board from that perspective. But obviously now that we live on the boat, things have changed significantly. But, um, yeah, I think that that's very important for you both to be wanting to take the step together.
0: Yeah. And We get asked the question a lot by men: How do I make my wife get into this? <laughs> um, and it's it's and the answer that we that I always give is: If your wife if your wife hates it, she's always going to hate it. But if she's ambivalent, try and charter a boat that gives her the holiday that she wants. Nice. And I, I do mean holiday. So you know you see all these. I mean, I've got. Countless friends in the yacht club on a Friday night. They've got these big beards, they've got big beer bellies, and they'll sit all night long telling yarns about how gnarly the sailing was and how big the waves were and how cold it was and how they almost died. And I'm like, all right, okay. But the flip side to that is, you know, if you've got if you're going to invest a sizable amount of money in a boat, and we've already said that if you sell it, you're losing 10% to a broker. Spend money on getting a really nice boat maybe a cataran which is more stable in a beautiful part of the world you know the bvi's are amazing sailing the bahamas and just go on a nice gentle cruise where the weather's good the food is good the swimming is amazing where you actually show the the plus points of that lifestyle my best friend when i was at university said to me he goes i, I when i got with teresa and i'm like how do i get her into sailing and he's like uh if the first week that you show her is a good week, she'll love it. If it's a bad week, she'll hate it. And that will never change. So the first, you've got to make a good first impression. Unfortunately, it didn't work like this with us. <laughs> I was going to
2: say that is not how I remember my <laughs> but, first But hour that was the plan. The plan,
0: the, plan, the, plan <laughs> the plan was to give her a good, a good first week, but, yeah. but it didn't happen. But okay. nonetheless, um it is it is challenging. It is a, it is challenging. And it's also, you know, it depends what age that you're leaving when you want to go, whether you've got kids that are going to college, whether you've got young kids that you want to take with you, whether you've got elderly parents, whether you've got grandchildren, this all comes into the mix. And we have to, this is the reason why we're keen to get back to Australia, because the concession that we made is that if we sail off into the sunset, we both still have sets of parents. We can't just sail off and leave them. So we need to find the money to get back every year to see both sets.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's good advice because it's so similar to, to the fishing. You know, if you have your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, whoever, and one person likes to fish and the other doesn't, um, so much has to do with that first trip or a trip where, or even a kid, like bringing a kid fishing. If the first thing you do is go sword fishing, way out, you get one bite a day, you know, somebody gets seasick. It's a terrible trip. It's it's really a terrible trip. They're never going to like it. They They just won't like it. But if you can stay close to shore, there's plenty of action. Everybody has a good time. The boat's full of snacks. You get to have some soft drinks and stuff that you don't get to eat normally. You know, it's like a special occasion. The kid is like, this is, fishing is amazing. I love it. I loved every bit of it. And uh, then they tend to want to go more. And it's like this little stair step process as opposed to just throwing them into the, to the, you know, the, the, the most hardcore type. And I would imagine that, that, you know, when you started saying that about the sailing, that is dead on because especially if you're going to be there for a week you're seasick for a week and it's cold and rainy and oh, that, that sounds terrible. Even to somebody that (laughs) likes sailing, (laughs) you know, as opposed to (laughs) going down to the BVIs and just moving from island to island and eating, eating amazing seafood and having a nice drink during the sunset. I mean, that sounds amazing.
0: It is. And it's, it's easy sailing as well. I mean, you know, sailing can be challenging with wind and tide and and weather. Um, so, you know, for us, the BVI's, you know, from November through June, it's pretty stable and settled. And people have, you know, we meet lots and lots of tourists. There's loads of charter companies down there. People come out; they have a week. Some of them don't sail. And even if you want to take an even smaller step, you can get um, you can get a charter which actually has a skipper on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you haven't got to then be responsible for the navigation. It obviously costs more, and a good skipper on a boat will you know, for instance, let you help or teach you things. So you, you can make it part of a learning experience. Many moons back, I decided to kind of increase my level of qualification in sailing by getting the equivalent of what's called a yacht master. And I thought, well, I can do this qualification in, in the UK in November, which is going to be pretty miserable, or I can go somewhere else. And I happened, I went to the Caribbean to do it, um, saved up all my pennies, went over, and i had essentially what I consider to be a pretty decent holiday, but I learned it was a, it was a, it was a learning holiday, but the experience was so positive that I didn't see it as work. I just saw it as being on a boat and, and getting a qualification. So you can kind of make things easier for yourself in trying to convince a partner in, in the way you go about things.
1: Mm-hmm. Or maybe even not, What if, what if you don't even have to convince them? Like, what if you just kind of introduce them and they're all about it too. So you're not like there's, you're you're not having one part of the relationship kind of strong arming the other into this. It's kind of like you go into this together and, and, and there's an equal embrace of this adventure. It sounds like kind of that's like Teresa wasn't so into sailing, but she was into adventure and this is the, this is the way, like you said, the conduit to the adventure. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, there's, there's other, there's other things that we've talked about here with, you know, somebody wanting to be a fishing guide and, and it takes the same kind of communication. It's like, okay, we're going to drop out of our society here in this big city. We're going to move to a small, small place, you know, on the coast, we're going to try to be a fishing guide, you know, the husband or the wife or whoever is the non fishing guide needs to be as into it as, as the one that's going to go. Otherwise it just doesn't work. So I've been lucky like that with my wife. She's, she's been very supportive of, of my career always. Um, but it's not always easy. And, and it, 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 there, there are definitely places where you have to make this jump and making that jump, uh, quitting your job as a dentist at what would what age were you when when you did this how how old were you when you had your last day as a dentist as a dentist 40 42 so 42 Um, you're really just hitting your stride in in dentistry like i even
0: the stride hadn't even started yet i was kind of like (laughs) ramping up to the okay so There were a few other things. So as I said, Teresa moved to the UK and I said, look, the five-year plan. Um, I think probably a few years after that, so a few years down the line, um, I was a runner. I used to do kind of like, I used to run everywhere and I ruptured a disc in my back. Mm -hmm. I, I was lying in bed one morning, I coughed or sneezed and I thought that really hurts. It kind of like that hurts more than it should do for a sneeze. And then, um, <laughs> I'm getting to that age, <laughs> but no, cause I, I've always had a slightly weak back. And then I kind of, that was on Saturday morning and I woke up on Monday morning. And I couldn't feel my lower right leg. I had like it gone beyond pins and needles. So I went to the doc and he's like, "Oh, you've ruptured a disc? And I'm like, all right. And he's like, well, we need to operate. We need to get this done. You need to have this discectomy. And I said, look, I own my own business. So if I come, in, I don't work Friday. So if I come in on Thursday, can I go back to work on Monday? And he's like, Yeah, you can go back to work three months on Monday. And I'm like, that's not gonna happen. I can't. My, I'll lose my business. Three months. So yeah. So it was basically three months, you know, in bed. And I said, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do it. And he said, I said to him, I said, Well, what what is the reason? Why and why, you know, what, what's behind this? He said, two things. He said, one, you are getting old. You're about to hit 40. And unfortunately, as you get older, the the that you you know that you get your spine gets dehydrated and he said but the thing that's killing you is dentistry he said you're hunched over people all day long and I mean people's mouths you've been doing this at this time I've been doing it for like 12 years you know it's your job that's causing the injury and so that was a bit of a wake-up call um and I never had the surgery I spent you know a lot of time in the gym a lot of time on (laughs) painkillers just the ones that are non-addictive that don't affect you. Mm-hmm. I think I was on painkillers about a year, wasn't I? Yeah. Like, but you could—I could only take ibuprofen and paracetamol, and eventually it started to get better. And I remember going back to for another a follow-up um, scan, and he's like, "Well, it's getting worse." I'm like, "Right." And he's so that to me was—you know—you get these kind of forks in the road that everyone gets presented in life. Mm-hmm and at that point i'm like all right well we need to now speed up the process of getting out mm-hmm. and i think at that point once i could see that i was going to get better if i looked after myself everything changed i think at this point we'd already you know we'd already committed in our minds to leaving but then it was like 2 years and we're gone in 2 years i went, we're going to be out of this wow. and it's now we're going to start saving Everything we're not going to go out for that dinner. We're going to put it into a kitty. We're not going to buy that pair of jeans. It goes into a kitty. You know, we haven't used this push bike for a year. It's going on eBay or uh, alternate. Uh, so, so basically, we started to gear up, and at that point, I think the snowball got to the point where we knew we weren't going. It wasn't going to stop. Yeah, that we were going to leave. And one of my best friends, he's, he's going to be the best man at my wedding. He said to Teresa a year ago. That after we've been gone for, for four years, I never thought he'd actually do it. Yeah, I always thought that something that something would get in the way, and he'd go, like, oh, "I can't do it because." So there were a lot of obstacles, and you can look at the signs and take them, you know, and take them, or you can kind of go, oh, "Ah, no, I won't do that." And
1: that's that's we have the found- place that so many people get to of. of- that place where your friend thought you were going to get to well-meaning, you know, he's like, yeah, I I just can't believe you did it. Like it, there were a lot of things that could have stopped you from doing it. And, and it's that one point of that, it's that jump. That's what I refer to as the jump. Like you burn the boats at the, at, you know, like you're not going back. You, you sail over, you burn the boat. That's it. That's what they used to say about the the battles, you know, that the, that they would, they would burn the boats. So there would be no, no retreat no surrender you the, this is what you're doing you have committed to it and that's to me in all these stories that i hear that is really the the one ingredient to everyone's story that stays pretty similar is that there was this deep commitment that we're doing it and and like you said put the deposit down on the boat quit your job like those are major life <laughs> altering decisions right there
0: yeah, and they're terrifying. Yeah. They are absolutely terrifying. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is—it's not—it's not easy. It's it, none of it's easy. It's pretty rewarding, and we have lived and been around marinas all around the world. Whether we were in the UK, whether we lived—we were living in France, we lived in Spain. We spent six months living in South Carolina in a marina. And one thing that is common throughout all these marinas is you will meet people that have bought a boat and tell you they're going to do it, and. It's obvious to me now and to both of us, I think it's obvious those that will and those that won't. And, you know, there's the, the guy who's like, ah, oh, in a few years, I just need to get the solar sorted out. I need to get this done. I need to get that done. I need to kind of do a little bit of work on the paint. And then I'll probably go off and do that. And I'm like, you're never going to do it. I can tell you're never going to do it. And then there's the other couple. And they're like, we're leaving in 24 months. Everything we've sold, everything's being sold. We've decided, you know, we're taking the kids out of school. We're going to go for two years. We've made plans to keep our jobs open. And
2: yeah, I think I think that that's it. It comes down to commitment at the end of the day. Like, there's nothing stopping anyone from doing this, really. I mean, obviously, Nick highlighted a few like major obstacles before, like if your health doesn't allow it, or you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're committed to it, then you'll find a way, and you'll just you'll just work through those challenging um moments where you know you're thinking you're second guessing yourself you're wondering whether that's the right decision you just work through them and as i said that's where both sides of the party being committed is is very important
1: right well congratulations it's it's amazing and i love to see people that actually do it and that create this awesome life like you have so when you when you sail off into the sunset was what was the plan on being sustainable like like now it's YouTube and Patreon, but that wasn't always the case. I'm sure that there was, there was like, I saw in one point in your story, you were like, well, there was something missing. We weren't working. We, we weren't being creative. We, there was something missing, but did you have a plan on how you were going to make any money or did you, did you have enough money through all the stuff that you had sold and, and uh, any sort of retirement that you had in in dentistry or paramedic or whatever um, that you could go for a while? Or did you, did it always have to be kind of like at sooner or later we're gonna to have to figure out a way to make some money here to keep this going?
0: When the the vague plan that we had was that we would have enough money in a kitty for a year, maybe eighteen months, mm. and we weren't
2: really sure how much it would cost. Yeah, we didn't
0: know. Right, this. right. We had no idea. There was yeah. no information at the time as to what does it cost. What does it cost? Yeah. So we rented out our house. We had the decision: pay the mortgage off, rent the house out, and. So then we've got a little bit of of monthly income. So we had this little bit of income, and we had what we thought would last us about a year, a year and a half. And we set off with that in mind. And honestly, I think one of the best bits of advice I was ever given by an old sailor in a bar where we kept the boat was, never tell anyone you're sailing around the world, because it sets the bar really high. Like people go, if you come back after five years and you've done three quarters of it, someone will say, well, you didn't quite sail around the world. <laughs> it's
1: true though, isn't it? Yeah. So, there's always that person, of course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, you know, Especially so, in England. Yeah.
0: So he just said to me, just tell me what you're going sailing. And that, was, that to me was a, such a good bit of advice. And the fact that I still remember it after probably having about six or eight pints in the bar <laughs> that night. So really what we did was we set... Uh, you know, we thought well, we're going to go for a year and see what we do. We're going to see how it goes. And again, we always used to set ourselves goals. So one thing that we did say that we do is that we left in May twenty fifteen. So that was our our leave date from the UK, and then we booked an Atlantic crossing with a rally for November, 2015. So we knew that in six months we had to get from England down the, you know, across to Spain, go through the Portuguese coast, you know, go to Morocco, go to the Canary Islands, and then get across the Atlantic. So again, from our point of view, we then had booked something we had, we we had, we had something we had to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so from kind of our sailing, the perspective of our our sailing plans, we kind of had a, I think we had a two-year plan. We knew we wanted to get to the Caribbean. We knew we wanted to spend at least one or two seasons in the Caribbean, and then we figured we, you know, wait and see how it all went from there. But the the YouTube channel didn't start as a money making exercise at all. Um, In fact, I don't think that we even realized that we could make money out of YouTube. Like we didn't. We didn't
0: monetize it for a year. No, that's right. Mm. We didn't
2: monetize it for about a year. We kind of set a couple of goals. We said, well, we're not going to monetize until we get to ten thousand. Uh, subscribers, because we wanted to focus on content rather than making money, we said we wouldn't start Patreon until we got to twenty thousand subscribers. And in the end, we didn't start Patreon until we got to forty thousand. For again, the same reason: we wanted to to focus on on quality content rather than um, kind of monetizing it further. So it kind of evolved quite slowly the the income side of it from from our YouTube channel. Um, so, I mean, I would say it took what we were doing for three years now. So it took two years before we had what I would consider to be an income at all. You know, we'd get a little bit of pocket money before that, you know, and I do mean a little bit of pocket money. Yeah, it
0: wouldn't cover the barbed in a, you know, in a tiki bar in the, in the Bahamas. I mean, that's not that we drink excessively, but <laughs> it, it, was, it was pennies. It was, or, you know, a few dollars we'd get. Um, and Therese is right. You know, we, we set this up. One of my friends, again, in the same pub, when we were in the UK, he's like, you're going to be bored. He's like, you know, you think you think you're going to sail off around the world and you're going to get bored. And we did it, We didn't get bored. I think the first year was it, everything was so new and fun, exciting, stressful. Everything was the first time we'd done it. I think we were still a little bit in shock that we would actually managed to leave. Yeah. You know, there, there's, you know it's, we weren't that, that, that couple like, oh, it was easy. It was like we actually did it. I remember the morning we set off from our home port, never to return. I just like, my, just, it was a blur. It was a strange blur. and I'm like, we are actually going, we're actually going to, I don't think my parents thought we were going to leave. <laughs> you know, everyone came to wave us off and it was, and then we're gone. And it's just, it's strange. You kind of think that you're going to kind of be on deck screaming. I'm free. You know, like, like Maria from the sound of music, you know, twirling around on the foredeck. It literally, you're sat there going, blimey, we did it.
1: Or maybe and, it's like. Oh, shit! We did it like <laughs> <laughs> oh my God I can't believe we <laughs> actually <have> <laughs> did it
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that that's right. It, it kind of the first year or so was definitely a blur. I had a blog, so I was blogging. that was kind of my creative outlet, um, and I didn't have any kind of ambitions for the blog. I don't think many people read the blog. I never worked out how to get more people to read the blog, so it kind of just stayed within my little bubble and um and but then we. Kind of I don't know, it was weird because we had a period where after we crossed the Atlantic and it was very stressful, kind of building up to the Atlantic crossing because we'd never done anything obviously like that before, and so it was there was a huge as I said, a, a steep learning curve, and it was it was all very unknown, so once we got to the Caribbean, we kind of breathed this huge sigh of relief that we could finally relax at last, but we also didn't realize how stressful it would be putting ourselves under so much pressure to be at a certain place by a certain date, which is what we had done for the first six months because we booked that rally, as Nick said. And in hindsight, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. We should have just kind of let things unfold the way like in a natural kind of organic way, depending on how we felt at the time. But we put ourselves under one, even once we got to the Caribbean, we had to be, in Antigua, to meet, you know, family coming in to, to fly, you know, f- flying in to visit us, we had to, we decided that we had to go up to the US for hurricane season. I mean, these are huge distances to cover. And when you're not, when you're just wanting to explore the place you're in, mm-hmm. then it's kind of, it, it you are putting yourself under unnecessary pressure to get to, from A to B for an arbitrary reason. There's no reason for us to have to move at that pace. We just decided that we had to. So I think once we worked out that we needed to slow down, yep at that point we kind of it was a major reassessment of our priorities we said we we need to slow down we need to stop kind of putting ourselves under that kind of pressure and i think while we were doing that kind of reassessment we also realized that there was something else that was missing which was something to i guess i don't know it wasn't just wanting a creative outlet it was wanting a project for us to work on it was needing another focus in our lives not just sailing around um, and living on a boat. We needed to, I don't know, intellectually simulate ourselves, yeah. creatively simulate ourselves. There were a load of reasons why, why we needed to, or why we felt that we needed to start the YouTube channel. So it kind of, there were lots of things that just fell into place at that time. So that's ultimately um, to answer your question, in a very roundabout way. That's ultimately why we started the channel um, in the first place. And yeah, three years later, well, it's it's a business. It was a hobby then, and it's a business now.
1: Yeah, well, it's going it's going very well. I, I really like it. I, I've uh, you know doing this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of interesting people. A lot of them have YouTube channels. Some I some I kind of identify with. Others maybe not not as much. Some of them are really super cool. And but I was watching your videos, and there was like this. I don't know. My wife and I, she does not want to sail around the world, but she might, she might <laughs> want to get in an RV and see every national park in the United States. And there's like this, there's like this feeling that you get from watching your videos of like this romantic kind of life of like just doing it, kind of dropping out and doing what you want. And uh, I've got to see a couple of places that, that you've been. Uh, first of all, just recently, that, that island of Hotec. That is amazing. I didn't even know that oh, existed. It? it looked yeah. so amazing. That was a part of the world that I didn't even know existed. But another part that I am familiar with, and you went right where we were, is um, in in uh, Hopetown uh, on Elbow Key, which is mm. one of my favorite places in the entire world. And I'm pretty sure in one of those videos, you walked right by one of the houses that we stayed in there. And it was just I just loved that place. And then, so when I see that island that you just went to, and then I see an island that I know, like Hopetown and Elbow Key and all of Green Turtle and all of that stuff there, it's like, man, that is a life of just finding these cool little places where sometimes there's a hundred people living there and they're just living this life that is, it's just different than the rest of the world. And you're you're just kind of dropping in on those people for a week or a couple of days, or if you like it, maybe a month. I don't know. It just seems, that's kind of how it seems like in your videos. It's like, yeah, we'll just stay here until we kind of, you know, are ready to leave. And that is, that is something that is, is I I can see the allure of the channel. I can see why you're gaining subscribers. I can see why people are enjoying your videos because you do a good job. I mean, just the music, everything that you're choosing for that is kind of like, I don't know. It just kind of feels free like you, like you have, Thank you. I mean, that's, that's, I think you're doing, yeah, thank you. I think it's a, uh, thank you. I mean, I don't mean to just compliment you out of nowhere. It's just like, that's the way your channel feels. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why you're getting people that aren't necessarily interested in sailing as much as they're interested in this lifestyle that you've created, this lifestyle of, of, uh, of just being free. And 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 being contrary to to the rest of the world right now. So congratulations to you. I, I just love Thank seeing you. that. Thank you. So one yeah. one more thing. I know we we've talked a lot about this, but uh, I want to get to um, this new boat and how you're acquiring this new boat because I want you to tell me. Because Aaron kind of told me a little bit about it, but I want you to tell me so I don't get anything wrong in the in in the arrangement that you have with this boat. Why don't Why don't you tell me about? Um, about the new boat and how this is happening.
0: It started off in Charleston, actually. We were in Charleston in 2018 mm. and we had a decision to make. And the decision was: do we continue to go through to Cuba and then to the Panama Canal and into the Pacific, or do we go home? And one of the decisions, one of the one of the one of the factors was we kind of realized that. The boat we had, while it was the dream boat for us when we bought it, we had changed as people. The boat hadn't changed, but what we wanted, our needs had changed. So we made a pretty difficult decision to sail back across the Atlantic and go and see the bits that we could see with the boat that we had. So if you're not familiar with our channel and thus our boat, our boat had a keel that lifted. We we could raise the keel on the boat. So one thing that we did decide to do was to take the boat through the middle of France, and we could only do it with this boat. So two years ago, we took the boat, we took the mast off the boat and went through the French canal system. And so at this point, we knew that we were going to sell the boat, and we started looking for a new boat. And we knew that we wanted a catamaran. And the, the 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 argument, the discussion between, do you buy a boat with one hull or two hulls? It, it goes on forever. <laughs> the best bit of advice that we got, having we knew the type of cruising that we did, we 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 stay in places for a long while so that we can experience the culture. We don't just turn up for a day. If we're going to go to a region, we tend to spend a few months there or a season there, so four to five months, because then you feel less of a tourist and you get more involved. And for us, I think it's a far richer experience. So someone said to us, look, as a liveaboard cruiser, you spend 90% of your time at anchor and 10% of your time sailing. And we're like, yeah, that seems to work. You know, it seems to does be 90%. So we wanted a stable platform. So we then started researching what our next boat was going to be. And we went to boat shows, and just it was almost a throwaway comment that Theresa and I had as a discussion: Should we video what we're doing? Maybe people would be interested in in what we're doing.
1: Did you um, already have the YouTube before. channel yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay,
2: but we so. we'd focus, yeah, we'd focus until then on on our vlogs, okay, like sailing yeah. sailing vlogs, and um, we thought that we would do our research just privately <laughs> we didn't realize at the time you know that we'd kind of take our audience with us and then we realized that actually because we were researching we we're doing what everyone does we were researching online potential boats that we might be interested in and of course like everyone else we ended up on youtube watching boat tours and walkthroughs thinking well maybe we like that boat or maybe we want that boat or whatever and we realized that that there was a niche that we could fill Um, to kind of look more comprehensively at the catamaran market and and what blue water cruiser catamarans were available and which ones were best suited to a couple that wanted to do what we were doing. So we kind of realized at that point that really what we should be doing is, is um, I guess, you know, filling that niche ourselves. Mm. And, and that's ultimately what or yeah. well, on the kind of idea to film all the reviews and do it more as as a more structured kind of series on our youtube channel, yeah,
0: and the other thing I think was something that you mentioned a while back then that we don't just show glossy the glossy lifestyle where nothing goes wrong, where everything is perfect yeah. on our on our vlogs. We took this to catamaran reviews, so mm-hmm. we I think we eventually ended up reviewing nineteen catamarans. and if something wasn't right, we'd say it we'd say this this is. They've done this wrong or this doesn't work right. And it caused uproar.
2: Well, we're, very, uproar. Yeah, we're very straightforward and we don't kind of mince words and it's just a part of our nature. And I think that, you know, a lot of the tours on, on YouTube were done by brokers who were trying to sell the boats and that wasn't our approach. We wanted to be very honest. and But we were clear from the beginning that it was just our opinion. We weren't kind of saying, look, this is right or this is wrong. We were just saying from the beginning, look, this is how we feel about it. It's not our priority to, you know, have that or have this. Um, so we we're kind of approaching it from a different perspective. Angle. yeah and i
0: think we took the experience people at this time knew that we i think we'd sailed about 15 20000 miles so we had built built up some sea miles and experience so if i walked onto a boat and or Teresa went into a helm position and for instance there was a sharp corner where the designer hadn't thought well what if you get thrown across the the cabin here or what if you know because theresa's five foot Two, yes. five foot one and a half.
2: Five <laughs> <laughs> foot <put> two, definitely. <laughs> but if,
0: if you're sat on a helm seat and you can't see because the helm seat is designed for a six foot man, how does your wife get the experience you know, to, that she needs to kind of you know, enjoy what she's doing? If she's constantly uncomfortable, you know, that, that needs to be explained. And so I kind of think we took the market back to the cattle manufacturers and said, look, you know, make a helm seat that can raise understand that it's not just a male thing that there are people of different sizes you know abilities and you can't keep churning out the same cookie cutter boats and this thing just gained so much traction mm. because everyone's like actually you're right and obviously the <laughs> dealers are now get, getting their noses put out and we had some pretty nasty comments we had one boat manufacturer say to us off the record and for this reason that the boat manufacturer remained nameless we believe that you're, um, you've been sent, um, you know, by another company uh, to kind of d- to, to, to cause problems. And this is actually a, an act of industrial espionage. And we're like...
2: Yeah. <laughs> you give us way too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> like, do we seem that organized? <laughs> um,
0: so what happened was, and then another thing happened. So we started making these boat tours. And what we thought is, well, we need to kind of objectify, you know, we need to actually give these things a score to work out what the value for money is. Because it, if you read a car magazine, if you're into cars, you're into J.D. Power, you'll see that Chrysler or whatever is awarded a score for performance or for handling or for value for money. I'm like, well, no one's doing this for boats. So why don't we do this? And we'll, we'll put a score together. And we started with the scores. And then everyone's going, well, actually, you know, your score's not worth anything. Or why did you give this a score of 6 out of 10 and this a score of 8 out of 10? So we're like, "All right, and then we developed an app where people could actually put their own scores in. And then everything went up to another level. So we'd put the review out, we'd give it our scores, and then we'd say to people who were watching the review, "Give us your scores. If you own the boat, if you' viewed the boat, if you haven't viewed the boat, but have an opinion, put your scores in out of 10." And so there were five categories, and the categories were chosen by our viewers anyway. It's not like we said we're going to do performance, we're going to do value for money. We're going to say what five categories mean the most to you if you were looking for a boat. So our viewers chose the categories. They then got to score the boat themselves. So we, as much as we could, could go, well, it's not our our system, not our score at all. And so we then had, I think we had 5,000 people voting for the best catamaran after we'd done all this. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, it is still the biggest collective uh scoring of boats anywhere on the market Mm. so at this point we this was about we were doing these reviews about a year weren't
2: yeah about that at
0: this point two or three manufacturers were like contacted us and said look we'd like to talk to you about getting getting you into one of our boats and It was, some of the offers were pretty attractive Um, and some of the offers we declined. Um, And the reason we declined them is because we wanted to still have the ability to be objective about what we were doing, to be able to say, this isn't right. We didn't want to be muzzled or have anyone kind of say, you can't act like this. We don't want you to put that out. And then the, the manufacturer Seawind that we ended up working with actually said to us, "Look." we are designing a boat from the, from literally from the ground up. And you seem to know what you're talking about. You've identified all these features on, a, on boats that you like, and you've been sailing for five years. Tell us what you want and you can design this boat with us. Now that to me is like, every, that was all my dreams come true. Like I was so into boat design for a manufacturer to give that level of kind of confidence in to have that level of confidence in in us was amazing
2: so I think it's important to say also that the two sea wind uh, categories that we had looked at we absolutely loved um we were really excited by both of them so we kind of pursued we pursued it from that angle because we wanted we wanted to be in a sea wind ourselves uh, but unfortunately one of them was too small for our needs and the other one we thought was too big so when they said to us look we are actually kind of designing something in the middle and we'd like for you to collaborate with us, we were like, this is literally, as Nick said, our our dreams came true. And and that's
0: where we are now. We've been working on this boat for 12 months now. It's coming, coming up to 12 months and I think we we took to them fifty eight design features we wanted to see in a boat. It was it's huge. We haven't had anything to do with the design of the speed, the performance, the hulls. It's
2: been designed by Enable Architects. Yes, yeah, so yes,
0: yeah. You wouldn't buy a boat <laughs> when the hulls are designed by us. You're, <laughs> you're not, but so yeah, there's 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 a high end design team that have worked on all the air, you know the, the hydrodynamics. But things that we have put in that to us are like it's super important to have this. We want you know at one level. Decent renewable energies. We want to be at an anchor and not be relying on a generator to put that pollutes and creates noise. We know that we're not that we do still need diesel engines because electric motor technology for propulsion isn't where it needs to be yet. But not, we, not for
2: our purposes. Not for our purposes.
0: Yeah. You know, so getting in and out of a marina is one thing, and you can use electric motors brilliantly for that. And our friends at the sailing Uma do that. But you know, if you want to get a thousand mile range from a boat because you want to outrun a storm and you're in a, a wind hole, you need diesel. So, but we wanted, we knew we wanted renewables. So we worked really hard with them to kind of make sure that we had the renewables that we wanted, that we were going with, you know, decent battery systems to store the charge. And that was one part. The other part was things like, you know, if you've got a galley that is actually functional, we were pretty into cooking and eating and when we were living at home in in, in a house. So you know, a waste chute for like organic matter that goes straight through to the sea when you're out offshore. That's that's something. Things like another chute that goes to a dedicated recycling bin so that you don't have you, because when you're offshore, you can't throw any plastic in the sea. So you have to keep it all in one place. So be able to separate things like that. They're very small things, but to us, they're pretty important aren't they? Yeah,
2: there was as Nick said, there were about, I don't know, 50 or so 58
0: points for came to Yeah,
2: points. And and some of them were really minor. Um, you know, like we said, well, we need it sounds well, maybe it doesn't sound ridiculous to you because I'm sure that you had the same mm-hmm. in your boat, but we said, you know, we need cup holders at the helm so right. that when you're on watch, you can have, you know, your your coffee or your cold drink or whatever just sitting there next to you. You don't have to worry about it sliding all over the place because you know you're going over waves. So cup holder, we said, you know, we wanted um, you know, 360 visibility from the helm, but we still wanted it to be enclosed. We said we wanted, you know, places to store our dive gear, places to store, you know, fishing rods, stand up paddle, uh, paddle boards. Um, you know, we want a barbecue and, and just a lot of little things that we had seen from all of the catamarans that we had reviewed. And some of them, like, for example, um, a water collection, um, kind of, uh, facility around the bimini so that the you know when it rained you'd ha- you'd have a rain a rain catchment system mm-hmm. which sounds very obvious but most sailors kind of rig up something that they have to make themselves because the boat itself doesn't support that so you know we said prioritize that so when it you get a tropical downpour which you always do you can fill up your tanks at least yeah. um you know, there were just a lot little of things. little things like that. and, and Well, we a lot of those kind of little simply- things are
1: coming from living on the boat in all right, of these absolutely. different conditions in these austere environments where you there there is no fresh water available. And yeah, what right. if you slept through the rainstorm like, and you didn't set up your system correctly or whatever and you didn't catch the water where, like, I could see, like, what you're talking about is this is an automatic. Every time it rains, you're catching water. And right. that seems like something that could easily be not thought of you know by by somebody that it isn't thought that, of that goes to a marina every single day and can top off yeah. with a with a garden hose um so right. all of those things are are interesting i see i see the value one of my big sponsors is a boat company yellowfin boats and and it's always the same that they make a wonderful boat that i'm very proud of but there's always you know they always want to know like well how is this performing in the real world like when you go out there and you fish it 30 days in a row how is this performing. Like what is absolutely going on? And yeah. uh, that's, I don't think that you can ever, uh, um, kind of not have that. You have to have some sort of input from somebody that's using the boat in a different, in a different yeah. way. And, and, uh, so that's cool. So is this like a sponsorship and a, a relationship that you have or how, yeah. how would you kind of consider
0: we, it's, it's a partnership. It's a partnership because it's ongoing. So they are, our boat will splash in, in about 12 months' time. They will, they're going to start building it. And then once you know the design features they've built into this, you know they, they, they're already integrated. And it's, again, some of them are obvious, but they're so obvious that you think, well, if it's this obvious, why is no one doing it? <laughs> uh, for instance... <laughs> No, but for, for instance, catamarans, you know, they've got two holes. And every time if you've ever been on a catamaran with a dinghy or a tin boat, you try and get onto the onto one onto the catamaran at the back, and you, 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 you um, end up chipping the, the fiberglass because the dinghy, the the V of the dinghy hits the fiberglass. So we went to them and said, well, just put some rubber, a rubber strike around the back so that you don't have this weak point. And they're like, Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and now that's being integrated, but it's things that we've it's never no, never seen on another boat. No, and now I think they've integrated this into the whole line actually. So the design the design features they've already integrated, and we went back to them um, probably about five months ago before they actually announced this boat to the public. And we said, "Look, how many of these 57, 50, 58 features did you manage to put in?" And they went all all of them but one, I think, um, and then when we take delivery of the boat, we will continue to test the boat. So it will need tweaking. It will need bits done to it. It will be, okay, we need to think about modifying this so that people that get the boat later on, you know, we are hole number two. We We were offered hole number one. I said, look, I'd like to see a physical version of a boat before I can, you know, so that if the visualization digitally, you know, doesn't quite match up to the actual what this boat looks like when in the flesh we can then say well actually that cup holder needs to be a little bit wider mm. that plug point needs to be a little bit higher um but it means that further incarnations of this boat are going to be kind of honed and we're, we're pretty proud of what we've done
2: yeah, yeah. we're
0: proud of the boat right. and it's going to be you know the ruby rose edition of this boat is pretty special um, you know, I'm not, it's not a big plug for the boat, but we're yeah, I'm pretty proud of what we managed to achieve considering that, you know, four years ago we were just bobbing around the Bahamas yeah. drinking rum punch.
1: <laughs> well, that's awesome. So now that you, as you're, as you're kind of planning this boat out, you're, you're continuing to, um, to hone in on some of the things that you might want and maybe waking up in the middle of the night thinking, Oh, what about, what if we did this? You know, I can, I've done the same thing with, with building, building my own boats You kind of also have like this, like, once I get this boat, these are the things I'm going to do with it. Like, are you, do you have some plans on what you want to do with this boat? Is it going to allow you to do some things that you couldn't do before? What, what are you, what are your plans?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole reason we started in the first place, looking for an an alternative boat because the boat we had, um, although perfect for a lot of kind of conditions, was not perfect for what we wanted, which was ultimately to go through the Panama Canal, cross the Pacific, and, I mean, as Nick said before, we're careful about kind of, making these grandiose statements saying, oh, we're going to circumnavigate or whatever. But we know that we love ocean crossings. We love cruising to remote areas. We love living off the anchor. So we don't, we want to be able to do all of that relatively easy. We want, we want a boat that is built for that purpose. Whereas the boat we had wasn't really built for that purpose. We just tried to kind of turn it into something that would work for that. So the catamaran that we have, we're ultimately going to to be lucky enough to get um, next year, we think is going to suit that purpose absolutely perfectly. She's going to be a great um, ocean crossing vessel. She's going to be fantastic at anchor for the reasons Nick was saying, first of all, because she's lovely and spacious and very comfortable. She's going to be very comfortable to live on, but also because we'll be able to rely purely off renewables for our energy. Um, you know, we will have a lot of the, uh, I guess, conveniences on board that we couldn't fit on our, our smaller monohull so we'll have um a, a powerful water maker that pumps out loads of water our water maker on the i mean how much did we get from our water maker on 3
0: gallons an hour
2: yeah exactly and how much are we going to get on the new one
0: uh, 60 i think yeah
2: so we're going to wow. be able to fill up our tanks like super fast and we're going to have a washing machine and we're going to have like air conditioning which is going to be a massive luxury but i'm yeah that was an insistence on my part
1: well the air <laughs> the, the, the conditioning washing. can you can you run the air conditioning on renewable
2: yeah, we think it'll yeah. we'll be able no, to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, 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 the boat has been designed to put 2000 watts of, of solar on, on. It's huge. So basically, a, the, the whole top of it is solar. People laugh about the washing machine. And even to me, I'm like, you know, Christ, Nick, like at what point do you know, need to. <laughs> a
2: bucket's know. fine. <laughs>
0: but what we were saying is that, you know, when we were for the last five years, we we had a washing machine which was essentially a fancy bucket. Yeah, it, it was a like a big bucket with a motor in it. It cost like forty bucks. It was Chinese made, and the the, the motor went after a year. But we still had this big bucket. But doing laundry would take half a day. So you literally it would take three hours to do that, and that is time that we just would be would would be better spent doing other things.
2: Absolutely. And then it would take us days to replenish the water that we'd use. So we've kind of worked. We've done we've done it the hard way already and we wanted a boat that would allow us to do things a lot more easily, easily. Um, and we'll, it will be yeah. much more convenient. So I guess ultimately uh, we'd love to sell um, to Europe, to the Mediterranean again, because we didn't get to explore as much as the Med as we would have liked to. Uh, we'd like to go back to the Caribbean. Yep. Um But ultimately, we're wanting to make the Pacific our kind of our destination, um, our cruising ground so that we have to get the boat. (laughs) Unfortunately, the boat's being built in Vietnam, which sounds like it's really close to the Pacific. But anyone who knows Mm -hmm. about the trade winds will realize that actually you can't get further from the Pacific than than Vietnam, um, despite the fact that it is close kind of on a map. So yeah, we have to get the boat all the way around the world to the Pacific first. So yeah, it's very exciting.
1: Wow man that's big undertakings so uh, yeah. man and then and then in this time between the boats you said you'd sold your boat that that you have uh, been on for a long time and made your YouTube channel off of that boat i hope that went to a to a good home and somebody did did, did is there a story to where that boat is going is there Whoa. another couple that's going to take it
2: well, we hoped that the new owners would be someone that would continue to take her sailing and hopefully do something maybe similar to what we did on her. And that is the ambition of the new owners. that Ruby Rose is back in um, on the south coast of England now and obviously it's coming into winter, so she'll be sitting there for quite a few months to come. But, yeah, their ambition is to take the boat down to southern Europe and hopefully into the Med and, and live on board. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that that's what happens. Yeah. Have I think run,
0: they, they they want to do exactly a... the... Yeah, you run
2: that run would be awesome. Too. No, no.
0: We'd like we'd love to see him. And the the new owners are pretty cool. I, you know, he was saying that he is going to sign up for a rally to get him down to Portugal from the UK. And it's kind of like I, I, what I said earlier about, you can tell when people want to do it. Yeah. And when people are going to do it. And these two are going to do it. You can tell from the way they're talking, they've got timelines. They know... They've got a plan. They've got to set... They, they want to set goals. The plan is in place. Yeah. And we're like, we'll see you in Portugal. We'll
1: yeah. buy you a beer. Mm. It's not unlike, uh, really. You said you were a runner in, you know, before all of this. It's not really unlike uh, how you how you run your first marathon. One, you know, one of the big steps to running your first marathon is to sign up for the race. Like that's your big jump right there. Is like I'm going to find yeah. a race. I'm going to sign up for it. I'm going to pay the money. I'm going to get the time off my work. I'm going to start my training. Like it all starts with that race like when you sign up for yeah, a race yeah. like when you when he signs up for that rally or when you signed up for the the crossing i mean that is a huge part of all of a sudden there's some sort of a timeline there's something that is there that now there's a date that's that's a big yeah. part of anything really i think it's
0: commitment Absolutely. You, you have to yeah. commit to stuff yeah. you know whether you commit to a ball when you're playing you know football you know you you commit to something and honestly, it's hard because, you know, committing to a tackle in a rugby game, that takes five seconds. You know, or it's, sometimes it's even just a split decision. Committing to a, a lifestyle change, that's hard. And you have a lot of time to question your decision. You yeah. know, that, that, as I said before, that, you know, I was, i lay in bed even now, you know, two o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep thinking, are we doing the right thing? Should we be doing this? But before we left, while we were... Um, you know, the sleepless nights I had questioning the commitment that we've made.
1: Well, it's not your, it's not only just your own commitment. It's the people around you often really well-meaning, like your best friends or your family saying, are you sure this is like, are you sure you want to stop being a dentist? Like that?
2: Yeah. Well, we were very lucky. Our, our families were, I think, bewildered and like confused, but they never kind of, actually verbalized their their um kind of i don't know their more negative feelings they, they were yeah. fairly supportive to our faces i think that they had a few conversations between the two of them that were <laughs> what? like what are they doing
0: oh listen i talked to my parents Well, i talked to my mother like not that long ago and when i say not that i ago, within the last couple of months she's just like well so how are the t-shirt sales going i'm like what she's <laughs> like you sell t-shirts i'm like No, (laughs) no, we we do a YouTube channel and we happen to sell t shirts as well.
2: Yeah. So sometimes a disconnect between what they they think you're doing and what you're actually doing is, is very, is very, and actually that's one of the reasons why the YouTube channel excited us to start with because we thought, well, at least this way we can stop. Like explaining what we're doing to people and actually show people what we're doing, um, because I think that a lot of people it, it's a struggle to visualize our lifestyle because it is so outside of the normal. The norm.
1: Yeah. Well, it's super cool, and uh, again, just congratulations on doing it. Thanks so Thank much you. for sitting down and and telling me the story. I find it fascinating, and I know that the the audience that that I have managed to accumulate does as well. Um, there's just so many. So many amazing stories from people just like yourselves, uh, in all different walks of life, whether that's sailing or fishing or mountain climbing or being a hunting guide, or even one, one of my favorite guests is, is a professional backpacker. She just, she learned how to, to be a professional backpacker through YouTube and, and, uh, Patreon and, and doing very, very similar to what you're doing. Quit her job, does what she wants to do is living life on her own terms. It's just super cool. I just love those stories. And, Uh, Those are some of the most um, popular podcasts that we've done. So I'm sure this will be the same. I wish you all the very best of luck if you happen to get to the Florida Keys uh, in your new boat. Give me a call. We'll, we'll go. No, uh, we'll definitely see you there. Okay. Please teach us how to fish.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we have to learn to fish. Yeah, I can, at some point we really do need to learn. <laughs>
1: definitely teach you how to fish. All right. right. Well, thanks so much. And, um, Always a pleasure. tell, tell everybody, I'm sorry, I waited till the very last second for doing this, but I'll put it in the very beginning as well. Uh, how people can follow you, what they can, how they can support you, how they can, um, see what you're doing.
2: So Simply just pop into your favorite search engine, Sailing Ruby Rose, and our YouTube channel will come up and we have a lot of videos on lots of different things. As we said before, we've got our catamaran series that a lot of people are very interested in, but we've also got our sailing vlogs, which are more lifestyle based. And we also have a lot of technical videos where we kind of teach people how to do more kind of technical things on on boats And otherwise, we're obviously on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you love what we do, then we're also on Patreon, and people can sign up to become a patron and they get loads of uh, alternative kind of benefits and perks and um, access to kind of exclusive content, that kind of thing. So we're all over the place, but easy to find.
1: They find you on Patreon with uh, Sailing Ruby Rose. Is that the. That That's
2: the, right. Yeah. Yep, selling yeah.
1: ruby rose. Okay. But dip into the YouTube thing
0: first to see if you like what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not trying to push people into that. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I think they're going to like it. Um, go check it out. And uh, you guys are you guys are just a, an inspiring couple and fun to watch. So uh, good luck to you in in the next twelve months. And then when you get that new boat, just man, have a good time. I know you will. Thank, Thank you for so watching. Thank, Thank All you. All right. Thanks. Yes. See you. All right, that was sailing Ruby Rose, Nick and Teresa. They are awesome people. I really enjoyed their story. You should go to their YouTube channel, check it out, and uh, I think you're going to like it too. Whether you're into sailing or whether you just want a lifestyle of being free, they have great videos. It's really great. I really love it. Great story, as I as I had anticipated. Um, those choices to live an alternative lifestyle are certainly not impossible anybody can do it but there are some places where you got to make that jump and there are some places where that choice is not altogether easy they managed to do it you can do it too all right see ya